Have you been thinking about wanting to start your own podcast? When I was trying to get the Evan Witt show off the ground, trying to find where to go, I had a lot of questions and trying to figure it out. And Anchor was the place to go. Easy to start, easy to use, and it's free. And you can get your podcast heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other great places that people like to listen. The answer, again, is Anchor. And I love using Anchor as it's extremely easy and simple and free to use. If you want to join me with Anchor on your podcast, then go to anchor.fm slash start and join me and the diverse community of all the podcasters that Anchor has to offer. I enjoy and cannot wait to start hearing your first podcast. That's anchor.fm slash start. It is Friday, September 21st, and this is another episode of the Evan Witt podcast. I am Evan Witt, your host of the show, and this show is brought to you by Strong Enough Fitness. Strong Enough Fitness is driven and striving to help you reach your health and fitness goals, how whatever and however it could be. Evan Strong Enough Fitness is uh, uh, created by me, Evan Witt, and I am a health and fitness coach and I have lost roughly 150 pounds over the past several years and I want to help you reach your goals too and if you're interested in learning what I've done and trying out what I've done all you got to do is just shoot me an email coachevan66 at gmail.com and let me know and I will give you the tips and the tools that I have used to lose the weight and help keep it off. So, as I mentioned, today is Friday, September 21st, the 21st night of September for those Earth, Wind, and Fire fans, and today's show is mostly going to be NFL talk, mostly Green Bay Packers, uh, Packer Vikings and Packer Redskins talk, and talk about a couple of surprise teams so far in the NFL, and if I feel that they can continue on this track. For those that are baseball fans that want me to talk some baseball next week's show, I will talk baseball. I will talk who I feel the NL and the AL MVPs are. In the NL, is it Christian Yelich or the Baez? I will give my most unbiased opinion I can on that situation on who I think should be the NL MVP. Also talk some AL MVP as well. So, Lots of NFL talk, lots of weirdness in the NFL during week two, especially in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where the Packers tied. Yes, they tied the Minnesota Vikings, 29-29. to And this is a game where, you know, lots of questionable officiating calls during the game. And I'm not going to spend the show bashing the officials. I'm not. I'm an official now myself. But there were a lot of questionable calls that makes you wonder, you know, are was that officiating crew still working on getting their kinks out um, as well? You know, it's week two. They're still figuring things out. Like, the, you know, the players have the preseason. The officials do too. Where is this a little, just a little hangover from the preseason? Did they, did they not get enough reps during the preseason? 
You know, that's the question people always ask. The starters who struggle out of the gate, do they not get enough reps? Or do the officials not get enough reps during the preseason? Because this was a game that was just sloppy. Sloppy by the officials. It really was. You know, they missed an obvious defensive pass interference on a pass to uh, uh, Jimmy Graham. He had his arm yanked down as he was trying to catch the ball. No penalty dropped. They caught a ticky-tacky offensive pass interference where Devontae Adams barely pushed off. He did kind of nudge Rhodes a little bit, but not much. But he gets caught with offensive pass interference that nullified a first down. Um, Who knows what would have happened with Jimmy Graham's catch. Would have been a first down plus. There was some uh, holding that wasn't called that may should have been called. And some holding that was called that probably shouldn't have been called. And then two very head-scratching, roughing-the-passer penalties, one on each team. So, like I said, overall sloppy game by the officials. It was also a sloppy game on the field, too, by the players. You know, in the first half, I think the Packers had the great, the perfect game plan. They were taking what the defense was giving them. The O-line was blocking very well, giving Rodgers a clean pocket to throw from. He was able to step up in the pocket, too. He ran for a key first down in the game. Uh, The offense was clicking. They were getting the ball out quickly. Special teams scored a touchdown on a blocked punt. The defense played extremely well in the first half, limiting the Vikings to just seven points. The one touchdown the Vikings had, I kind of put more of the blame on HaHa Clinton Dix than I do Kevin King because Kevin King played it like he was expecting safety help and the safety was nowhere to be found. He was uh, playing it on the outside shoulder, giving uh, Treadwell an inside goal uh, slant, and I think he was expecting the safety. That's why he was playing outside instead of forcing Treadwell to the outside, and Treadwell, for once in his life, caught the ball. Viking score tied it up. Um, Second half, Rodgers was holding the ball a little longer. I don't know if it was a result of... uh, the Vikings doing something different, like cutting off the short stuff, or Rodgers was looking for the big play. I don't know, but because of Rodgers hanging on to the ball a little longer, the pass rush started to get to him, and he didn't have the ability to uh, buy as much time as he normally does in the pocket. I think he got sacked four times, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there's... Packers could have played better defensively and offensively. They had many chances to put the game away. Unfortunately, they couldn't. And that's why, unfortunately, it came down to a couple uh, you know, questionable calls that you can point to that could have swung the game. There was a holding call on Lane Taylor that kind of swung the game. The Packers were up uh, 17-7. Uh, they... They scored a touchdown on the catch to Graham, would have made it assumingly 24-7. to Made the Vikings have to score three touchdowns to take the lead instead of just two. And they called holding on Lane Taylor. Packers have to settle for a field goal, one of their five made field goals of the day out of six attempts. And like that, it was 20-7 to instead of 21-7. to Now the hold, you know, it's, it's very tough because... The, the the head ref and the umpire 
They're watching a lot. They're responsible to watch a lot. They're responsible to watch the court or the head ref, the the white hat, as I'm going to refer him to. He's responsible to watch the quarterback. Okay, he's responsible to watch the quarterback. He's also responsible to kind of watch the line for holding. The umpire is also responsible to watch the line for holding. So what I'm guessing happened is the 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 white hat saw. The defender for the Vikings go to the ground, and he threw the flag, seeing that he was he was on the ground, and Packer player on top of him, you know, because he's watching probably out of his peripheral vision, and he sees uh, white go down and green uh, fall on top. So he has probably assumed it was a hold, and you never want to assume as an official, but that's what I'm guessing he did. And to be honest, I think nine times out of ten they're going to call that. You know, Lane Taylor's arm did get a little high on the ta- on the tackle on the uh, D tackle, but I think that's what the official saw. I think he just saw the defender go down, Packer player land on top of him, and just assumed it was a hold and dropped the flag. Unfortunately, he's the only one in position to make that call. There's really nobody else that could have vetoed him or overruled him on that call. There are a couple angles that you could clearly see that the Viking under his own power fell to the ground, but the one angle that the the umpire, the, I mean, sorry, the head ref was looking at, it was hard to tell, as, especially if you're not staring just at that play. That, he's not just looking at there. He's looking at the quarterback and scanning what else is going on. It was unfortunate. It took seven six points off the board. It took a uh, potential... 24-7 lead off the board instead made it 20-7. And then the Vikings were in business in the fourth quarter. The other thing to me why it was sloppy is why the hell is Ty Montgomery just getting six touches in the entire game? He had five carries and one catch. The five carries he had were positive. Every time the ball was in his hands, something positive happened. So why do they not get the ball in his hands more often? That's what I don't know. Defensively, the Kevin King injury late in the first half really hurt them. It forced them to have to play Devon House a lot more. Devon House is kind of slow afoot, and I think kind of slow afoot is an understatement. And he got stuck covering Stefan Diggs on the Stefan Diggs touchdown that made it, I think it was 20 to 14. I think it was a 67 yard strike. House got beat. But. He also didn't have safety help over the middle. I don't know what Kentrell Bryce was doing. Kentrell Bryce went to the right. First, he got caught looking shallow. Then he got caught going to the right where Treadwell, who is not a very dependable receiver, was over there already being double teamed. Then he had to turn and try to catch up to where Stephon Diggs was. Kirk Cousins read it perfectly. He saw Bryce bite and go towards Treadwell and he could put it perfectly over the top to Stephon Diggs who ran it in for the touchdown. That was poor football play by Bryce. I think House gave it the best effort he could but unfortunately he could not keep up with uh, with, uh, Diggs and Diggs scored. That killed them. Safety play hurt them in the game. Now that's two touchdowns that you can contribute to poor play from the safety position. And yes, House got beat. 
But I think people are being too critical of House in this situation because he should not have been on digs to begin with. And secondly, I don't think they're being critical enough on Bryce. Bryce was the guy that was supposed to be there. He wasn't. The third, uh, the, the touchdown that tied it up, the touchdown pass to Thielen, again, poor safety play led to that play. Kentrell Bryce saw the ball, looked away from the ball, and never looked at the ball again. He was worried about making contact either with his own guy or making contact with the receiver. And the reason why he was worried about making contact with the receiver is he didn't want to be fined or penalized uh, for hitting a defenseless player. He felt if he made the play on the ball, he was either going to take out his own guy or he was going to take out uh, and get penalized and then fined for taking out Thielen. It was poor safety play overall. Like I don't know why he was so far behind the play. He needs to react quicker. Maybe if he reacts quicker, um, better things happen. I don't know. But he also needs to watch the ball more. And at worst, he could have batted the ball out. Instead of looking for a big hit, just get over there and just knock the ball away, which he could have done if he was watching it. So that's three touchdowns that the Vikings scored that you could put on the back of the safety. The fourth touchdown for the Vikings was just a great play design to Stephon Diggs. It really was. It was just a great uh, play design. And they got Tremont Williams one-on-one on Diggs, took Diggs out of the backfield, threw him the ball, and he scored. But the two plays that really stand out in this game, the roughing the passer on Kendrick for the Vikings, which was a bad call. And it wasn't the game swinger that Viking fans are trying to make it out to be when you bring up the Clay Matthews uh, penalty. It's always, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, yes, it was a bad call. But it didn't swing the game, okay? The Vikings also jumped off sides. The Packers would have got a free five yards anyway. So and they weren't backed up deep in their own territory. I think they're like at the 25-yard line, 25, 30-yard line. Bring them up five yards, first and five from the 30 or 35, and then they move on. Now they get the 15-yard roughing the passer. Okay, they get an additional 15 yards. Who knows what happens if they don't get that additional 10 yards on the uh, roughing the passer than they did the offsides. But either way, the Clay Matthews penalty, to me, was a game-changer because... The, the ball was intercepted. The Packers took possession of the ball. Because of the flag being dropped, the Packers lost possession of the ball. And here's what I don't understand. Clay Matthews did everything by the book. He hit the quarterback as the ball was being thrown. Okay? The difference between the Anthony Barr hit Last year, and the difference between this one is Rodgers had clearly released the football and Barr went and hit him. The ball was gone for a a good amount of time before Barr made contact with him. And I know you can argue if Barr could have stopped and pulled up or not. We don't know. You're going at 100 miles per hour. It's hard to stop on a dime. I get that, especially when you're 250, 260 pounds. But the Clay Matthews one... The ball was being released from Kirk Cousins' hand as Matthews was hitting him. The ball sails. Jari Alexander reads it perfectly, runs the route, gets underneath it, intercepts the ball, 
Packers ball, minute 36 to go. Vikings with two timeouts left. Packers could easily run out the clock. Run the ball. Vikings call timeout. Probably about a minute 30 left. Packers run the ball. Vikings call timeout. Probably about a minute 25 left. Packers run the ball. They let the clock run down. If they don't get a first down, they just let the clock run and run and run and run. And you take the delay of game penalty or you... Snap it with one second left on the play clock and tell J.K. Scott to just kick the living crap out of the ball through the end zone, through the upright. It's going to be under a minute left in the game by the time they get the ball spotted after the run to get the 25-second clock started. Um, There's going to be well under a minute to go with the Vikings with no timeouts left, having to go for a touchdown and a two-point conversion. So it's more than likely a Packer victory if the call doesn't happen on Clay Matthews. And the thing is, I don't know what they wanted Clay Matthews to do. It was a textbook form tackle. He got his shoulder into the midsection. He didn't lift him. He, The momentum of the throw lifted Cousins in the air. He took Cousins to the ground. He braced his left hand on the ground to absorb the impact so he didn't put too much impact on to Cousins. He did everything perfect. There was an overzealous officiating crew that threw the flag. And of course, the NFL is going to stand behind the penalty saying it was correct. We're going to use it as a teaching tool. But here's a funny thing. Majority of the time, you get fined for unsportsmanlike conduct. You get fined for roughing the pass. You get personal foul penalty called on you. Nine times out of ten, you're going to get fined. And I'm expecting Clay Matthews to get fine. Get fine. Not only did they throw the flag on him, they also said they're going to stand behind it using it as a teaching tool, and then they don't find him. So I'm at a loss on what the NFL wants. I really am. I don't get what the NFL wants. Is Basically, to me, what the NFL is saying is you cannot touch quarterback. So what are the Packers or any other 31 NFL teams supposed to do? When you're in the two-minute situation, I got to figure it out. Don't rush the quarterback. Have three linebackers come to the line, one play the middle, and have eight defensive backs flood the passing lanes and don't rush the quarterback because with under two minutes to go, if you even sneeze on the quarterback, they're probably going to flag you because God forbid you look at the quarterback. That's what this game's coming to. And... Vince McMahon right now is looking like a genius. He's relaunching the XFL. He's talking about this is going to be football the way it was meant to be played. We're gonna it's gonna be a hard hitting league. And with this penalties on the quarterback the NFL is throwing for even looking at the quarterback, fans are getting disgusted for all these hitting a defensive receiver penalties, fans are getting disgusted. They're getting tired of the way football is being played right now. So the XFL comes out in a couple years. Vince has an audience to attract right now. That is what the NFL is doing. If the XFL, and the thing that really hurt the XFL, two things, is Vince McMahon attacking mainstream media all the time, you know, attacking the NFL all the time. The the uh, NFL... Turned, twisted the arm of like ESPN and Fox and 
Sports Illustrated and whatnot and said, you do not cover these guys, pretty much. And the other thing was the quality on the field was not good. Fans tuned in initially with a poor product on the field. They turned it off. The XFL folded. If Vince McMahon, and he's giving it much more time than he did the first go-around, if he can get quality product on the field of play, it should be uh, a lot of fans wanting to check it out to see if the XFL can give them the football that they want that the NFL is not giving them right now. And you also have a CBL expiring in two years. You got the XFL starting in two years. This is prime for Vince McMahon to start getting a big audience. So Packers-Vikings tie. Lots of things happened that made it happen. Now, I'm not saying the Clay Matthews play was the only reason why it was a tie, but it strongly contributed to the tie itself. Because if they don't make that horrible call, the Packers likely win. We don't have to settle on a Mason Crosby 58-yard field goal to try to win the Packers a game. We don't have to work, settle, uh, drop two potential game-clinching interceptions following the Clay Matthews penalty if the referees don't drop the flag on Clay Matthews. So, unfortunately, Packers now are 1-0-1 instead of 2-0. The Packers this week are welcoming on Sunday, September 23rd, the one and one Washington, or they're not welcoming, they're going to Washington to play. Washington's welcoming the Green Bay Packers at FedEx Field on 12 p.m. kickoff Central Standard Time. We're going to have Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis and Pam Oliver on the Fox broadcast. Obviously, Wayne Larravee and Larry McCarron will be bringing you the radio broadcast. And, you know, this is interesting. This is the first time the Packers have played Washington in Washington in the month of September. You know, the it's the first time since 2012 the Packers home open. I mean, the road opener is in week three. And it's the first time ever in September the Packers are playing in Washington. The Packers are 18-14-1 career against Washington in the regular season. Uh, the last time the Packers and Washington played in the regular season, Washington kicked the living crap out of Green Bay. That was a game where Rodgers had, I think, uh, three touchdowns late in the game, but it was too little too late as Washington was already dominating the game. But this is an interesting matchup for Green Bay, in my opinion. Very interesting matchup. Um, Washington, yes, Washington is not a great football team, but they have some weapons on offense. They, they do. They have some weapons on offense that the Packers have to account for. They have a quarterback that does not make a lot of mistakes in Alex Smith. He's a quarterback that gets the ball out in a hurry. Um, if the, so the pass rush is going to have a hard time getting to him. They have two very good tight ends in Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis. They have a very good running back in Chris Thompson, who's great at catching the ball out of the backfield. He's going to be their Terry Cohn. Uh, similar to what the Packers faced against Chicago, that's going to be Chris Thompson. Adrian Peterson, yes, he's not the back he used to be, but he can control the help control the clock. 
And then Jamison Crowder, Josh Doxson, they are, if the, if the Washington decides to try to attack the ball down the field, those are guys that can uh, stretch the field. Packers are going to be without uh, without Kevin King in this game, so the Packers are going to have to figure out what to do with no Kevin King. Defensively, Washington, they got a pretty solid defense with Jonathan Allen, Ziggy Hood, uh, Darren Payne, Tim Settle, Preston Smith, Ryan Anderson, Zach Brown, Ryan Kerrigan, Mason Foster, Quentin Dunbar, and DJ Swearinger Sr. are some guys that are some solid football players. And Josh Norman is also a pretty solid football player. Pretty solid front seven for Washington. A pretty decent back half as well. And then the special team kind of be questionable for Washington. This is not going to be a cakewalk for the Packers. I've seen a lot of Packer fans saying, well, this is Washington. The Packers are going to win. Washington's horrible. They lost at home last week, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, Washington has a solid quarterback, and overall they have a solid offense. One of the formulas to beat Green Bay is keep the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands. Alex Smith, Adrian Peterson, Vernon Davis, Jordan Reed, Chris Thompson. That is something those guys can do. Washington is going to probably try to focus on shortening the game. Keeping possession of the ball. Keeping the Packers defense on the field. So it's going to be very important that the Packers have sure tackling, which I know is something that they struggle with a lot. But they're going to need some sure tackling especially from the linebacker's position because, and the safety's position because Alex Smith likes to check it down. He likes to check it down. He likes to check it down. Oop, I'm going to check down. Uh, general check down or captain check down, whatever you want to call him. That's Alex Smith. He wants to check the ball down. And that keeps that keeps the clock moving. That keep, can keep the chains moving. Get four or five yards per throw. You're getting first downs every three plays. You're marching it down the field. That's what the Vikings are going to look. I mean, that's what the Redskins are going to look to do. That's what Washington wants to do against Green Bay. So it's going to be very important that the Packers are able to tackle quick. Don't let the Washington get yards after the catch. Don't let Washington uh, keep the chains moving. You've got to get off the field on third down. That's going to be key on defense. And my fear is that the Packers are going to go with that dollar defense where they got seven defensive backs on the field and the Vikings decide to go heavy-duty running with Adrian Peterson uh, pounding the middle. Yes, Peterson doesn't have a ton left in the tank, but Peterson's still an all-pro, possible Hall of Fame-type running back. He's a guy you gotta you got to account for. Defensively, look for Washington to try to bring pressure on Rodgers, especially with Brian Kerrigan. And then up the middle with Darren Payne. Zach Brown's a very good linebacker that can cover very quick. And you're probably going to see a lot of Josh Norman on Devontae Adams. Packers offensively keep Aaron Rodgers upright, try to establish the running game, which they did not do against Minnesota. They did not do it against Chicago. They need to do it against Washington. They're getting Aaron Jones back to run the ball. You got Jamal Williams to run the ball. You got... Ty Montgomery to run the ball and throw the ball to. Packers got to get those three guys involved. 
Ty Montgomery needs more than six touches. Aaron Jones, you probably want to get about 10 to 12 touches. And you want to get uh, Jamal Williams probably five to six touches. <coughs> Excuse me. So, offensively, like I said, Packers need to protect Aaron Rodgers and get the ball out quickly. And probably uh, play some hurry-up offense. The hurry-up offense worked extremely well against Chicago. The no huddle, keep the you know keep the ball moving. That worked extremely well. I want them to do the same against Washington. Get up on if you can. Get up on Washington early. Force Washington to play from behind, and then hopefully you can get Aaron Rodgers out of the game. Get Deshaun Kaiser in the game to finish the game because you're winning so much that you can do that. Now, prediction-wise, I think the Packers get the win. It's not going to be as easy, especially early, as a lot of Packer fans want want to think. I think the Packers win it, though. I think it's going to be a final score of 35-24. to 24. That's my prediction. Packers 35, Washington 24. And I think Washington scores a touchdown late in the game to make it that 35-24 difference. So with that said, thank you for listening to the Evan Witt Podcast. I appreciate the talk, uh, the, the, the time. Actually, no, I'm not going to leave now. I, I mentioned talk about a couple surprise teams um, and if I think they can sustain or not. You know, I think the team that's been the biggest surprise in the NFL right now is your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're 2-0. Ryan Fitzpatrick has looked amazing. But I just don't think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is able to keep this up. Uh, They've gotten uh, some great production offensively, but defensively they don't play very great. They've scored 75 points on the year, but they've given up 61. They have a net point differential of 14. I, I don't think they keep this up. I think they're going to come down to earth. I think they're going to come crashing down back to earth in the next few weeks, and we're not going to see Ryan Fitz, Fitz magic. We're going to see the Ryan Fitzpatrick that we've always known throughout his career. He's not the next Kurt Warner that shows up out of nowhere and dominates. The other surprise team, the Cincinnati Bengals, they're one I think can keep it up. They've given up 46 points this year. They've scored 68. And I think when you look at that division, Baltimore's iffy. Pittsburgh's a hot mess. They have a ton of drama. Antonio Brown drama. They got uh, Bell drama. They just got a lot of drama in Pittsburgh. Can they recover from this drama? And Cleveland is not ready to challenge for the division. Yes, they got the first win last night. Yay, Cleveland. I hope they enjoy the, the, the Cleveland community, enjoy the free Budweiser or Bud Lights, whatever it was, that they got from bars for Cleveland finally winning for the first time since December of 2016. That's why I think Cincinnati can keep it up. I think Cincinnati can keep this up and end up uh, winning this division. Miami surprise team 2-0. For them, it's hard to tell for me. I don't think they can, especially because I think New England's going to get hot. New England's been very pedestrian so far. But I, one thing that uh, that Bill Belichick is very good at is making adjustments, switching things around, 
and based then taking off and dominating. So the Patriots look, for, you know, the Patriots by the end of 16 weeks to be first in that division. The Dolphins to be second, but the Patriots to be first, and the Dolphins to be lucky to be 500. Teams that have gotten off to slow starts, disappointing teams, and surprising. The Houston Texans, I think the Houston Texans can turn it around. Deshaun Watson's getting more and more comfortable, coming back from his ACL tear. I think they're going to get better defensively, going to get better offensively. And Indianapolis, is, uh, I think, is not that great. Tennessee is not that great. So I think Houston is going to get better and climb to finish second in that division, like I predicted. Um, the other disappointing teams, the Detroit Lions, wow. They get Matt Patricia, the former co- uh, defensive coordinator for the Patriots, and he is showing us right now why New England coordinators don't make great head coaches. He is in over his head at the moment. Defensively, his specialty, Detroit, is horrible. Offensively, Matt Stafford has been horrible. And they got a minus 34 net points differential. They've scored 44. They've given up 78. Uh, I believe that is the most in the league. Yes. They're tied for the most points uh, allowed in the NFL at this point. Buffalo was 78 as well. They have a 55-point differential. So that's the only team worse at than Detroit. And then, to me, another team that's been kind of disappointing is the New Orleans Saints. They're 1-1. One one. They, they, they got beat by Tampa Bay. They got smoked by they, in a shootout by Tampa Bay. Their defenses looked atrocious. They've been disappointing to me. But I think they can turn it around. Division winning turning around, I don't know. But the NFC South, wide open. Yes, they can climb and win there. I think the best team in the NFL right now, without a doubt, is the Los Angeles Rams. In the first two games of the year, they've given up just 13 points. They've scored 67, and they look like a well-oiled machine. And their free agent signings and trades are really looking hot for them right now. And Jacksonville, another team that's looking pretty decent right now, especially defensively. They just kicked the crap out of the Patriots, the supposed golden child of the NFL. The Jaguars Jaguars kicked the crap out of them. So with that, what are your thoughts on the NFL right now? What teams that started hot are not going to finish that way? What teams that started slow are going to pick it up and get hot? And who are your most disappointing teams right now? So with that said, again, I picked the Packers to win 35-24. to Talked about the Packers-Vikings matchup and the poor officiating in that game and all the other things that went wrong in that game to hurt Green Bay. Talked about my surprise teams in the NFL that cannot sustain my teams in the NFL that are off the board, poor starts that can't, that can't improve and those that won't improve. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Evan Witt Sports. And if you're looking to lose some weight, you're looking to get healthy, you're looking to live a healthier lifestyle, then shoot me an email, coachevan66 at gmail.com. I've lost about 150 pounds following the workout programs that I do, and I want to help you. With that said, I hope you all have a great weekend, and I will get back at you next week.